unification, orchestration, and personalization are the three core pillars of Karan Gupta's strategy when it comes to CRM and retention at Marley Spoon. This was a great episode where we dug into how he's thinking about retention, the infrastructure that he's building in order to unify customer data, orchestrate the customer journey, and then really execute on one-to-one personalization. Also, the team that supports this, how he thinks about that, what his vision is for CRM in the next few years. A lot of great stuff in this uh, from someone who's executing a big program across a lot of channels at scale. So uh, enjoy and looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Hey, everyone, and thanks for watching and listening to the One-to-One Consumer Marketing Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Karan Gupta, who's Global Head of CRM at Marley Spoon, Martha Stewart's meal delivery service. Karan, thanks for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ben, uh, and also for all the listeners and viewers. I have a bad cold, so uh, hopefully you can still listen to me properly. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it is it is flu season. I was just saying we have uh, quite a few people on our team that are out with the, with the flu these days as well. But I appreciate you joining the podcast, even despite the flu. So yeah, I'm looking forward to our chat. You know, before we, we get started, can you give us a little background on yourself and how you ended up in your current role as Global Head of CRM at Marley Spoon? Yeah, although I think that can probably take the entire length of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> by background, I'm an engineer, uh, grew up in India, and always knew that that is something I absolutely did not enjoy which took me to this journey of, uh, I think, figuring out myself, went to business school in the US, did another master's in digital marketing in the UK. And over the last, uh, I would say, decade, have been leading growth teams around the world and sort of fell into CRM, which I find a natural extension of growth in any case. Currently based out of Berlin. And yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Nice. And so, you know, CRM being a natural extension of growth, can you talk through that a tiny bit? Why Why do you believe that? So I think like historically, and I think I was also one of those individuals that back in the day when anyone would think of CRM, they would naturally just think of email marketing and also email marketing from a perspective of uh, you know sending the same newsletter to uh, people left, right and center, and that is CRM for you. And now I think when uh, people talk about CRM and there are a lot of buzzwords in this customer engagement, retention, and as let's say consumers of different products, we all know retention is hard, right? There's so much uh, different customer behavior, customer journeys are not linear. And uh, it's of course, uh, putting the same hat of a growth marketeer, thinking that how can you build uh, this, let's say engine of uh, retaining customers at scale. So it is a growth function, but how you do that is complex because it's looking at every customer differently and then thinking of how to retain them and how to engage them at scale. Yeah, I think that's exactly how we're seeing the, you know, this space as well. It's traditionally has been seen as technical marketing, kind of a different beast. And especially I think with the growth of like a much more complex buyer journey across so many channels, touch points that a CRM marketer ahead of retention has to deal with. It's a, it's a very different landscape now than it was even 10 years ago when it was all about email. And I think that touches kind of on the next question a little bit, like how would you summarize the current state of consumer marketing today? I think like, I mean, of course, at the heart of it, uh, email is still an important channel. And from a lot of perspectives, right? So one, of course, it's a free channel. So a lot of, uh, let's say, organizations would abuse that in that sense that, uh, 
you know, just sending that email is uh, an incredibly strong touch point. How it's evolving, of course, if let's say, if you look at the whole heart and soul of CRM, it's about understanding the most relevant channel, uh, having the most relevant, uh, let's say, timing, personalization, and content all infused into one. So it's evolving into this, let's say, ecosystem where organizations are trying to figure out which channels to unlock, how to activate that data. So they start understanding uh, that piece around uh, which channel to uh, unlock at what stage in the customer journey. So having that, let's say, architecture in place where you can basically move towards, let's say, a one-on-one personalized uh, interaction with customers through a channel, through a touchpoint at a time where they're most likely to engage is a direction where a lot of organizations would try and move towards. Of course, it's hard, but that's the direction uh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's definitely the dream is a one-to-one journey for every customer that is hyper-relevant and in at the right time and place. Can you walk me through a little bit how you manage that? Like you mentioned activating data on the most relevant channel at the right time. How are you doing that at Marley Spooner? Kind of what is your philosophy when it comes to mapping out that journey and then actually engaging customers. Yeah, I think so. Maybe a bit of context for people not aware of, uh, let's say, Malispoon. So we operate in this, let's say, ecosystem or vertical of meal kits. So it's all about, uh, let's say, food boxes and recipes. And then we enable people to cook uh, as per their, let's say, flexibility and preferences. What many people don't know is that Malispoon has a wide range of products and brands which also makes the customer journey, let's say, complex because let's say if you're a customer, you might engage with our flagship uh, brand, which is Malispoon. But then let's say you churn from the brand because let's say it's expensive. We can cross-sell to you another brand, which is the budget-friendly version. Now, imagine in this scenario, we have to uh, engage with our customers at scale. So I would put it into three, let's say, simple pillars on uh, looking at this customer journey. So the first part is how do we stitch that customer journey together? In that, in our case, we use a customer data platform called Imparticle for identity resolution. And simply what it does, it stitches that customer journey across different websites, different apps, uh, different, let's say, brands, so that we have a unified way of looking at a customer. So we know that in this case, let's say it's Ben. He uh, is an active customer of one brand, has never heard of the second brand, is a churned customer of the third brand, for example. And then we can stitch that uh, customer journey and ensure that our uh, systems are able to uh, identify Ben in a unified way. So that's the first pillar of unifying that uh, customer journey. The second, and let's say the heart of customer engagement is, of course, a CRM system. And in our case, since we deploy multiple channels across customers, ranging from emails, push notifications, in-app, SMS, WhatsApp, to even offline channels like direct mail. So then how do we engage with a customer like Ben across these different channels? And also in a context where Ben, let's say, might uh, not have the app, he might be unsubscribed from certain emails. So then how do we bring in all this context around these different uh, engagement touch points in reaching out to Ben? So that's the second pillar on orchestration of different touch points. And the final piece is, of course, the personalization engine. Right, like Ben is unique. Uh, he might, uh, let's say, be traveling. When he's traveling, that's when he, uh, let's say, engages with uh, his emails. He might just, you know, have a limited attention span. And I'm not throwing Ben under the uh, bus for saying that. Uh, we all do. Okay. And activate all of this uh, behavioral data about Ben into personalizing communication to that. 
And this could be done with a wide range of personalization tools that we deploy. So that's the third piece in building personalization logic and activating smarter audiences towards, uh, let's say, uh, building this logic. So these three pillars is how we uh, end up moving towards this one-on-one personalized communication with our customers. I love that. The simplicity of the three pillars in terms of kind of unification of identity and data, the orchestration of that whole journey, and then the personalization, and obviously the different tools uh, that underpin that, like the technical foundation for, for different work there. I think is a is a very good way of looking at it. I have two questions based on that. One is just to understand how what does your team structure look like to kind of execute on all of that vision. And then you mentioned a few different channels, notably, you know, email versus SMS versus WhatsApp and kind of the decisions around when you use what. Can you talk through a little bit about that and what you see performing these days? Sure. Let's start with the first one, right? So the team structure. And I think again that is as important as the tech stack that enables uh, something like this. Because as you would imagine that to execute something like this, uh, you need different skills within the team. And how we try to also build our team is more from a competency standpoint. So how we divide the team, for example, is uh, both vertically and horizontally. So Malispoon is, let's say, a subscription, a weekly subscription. So the first, let's say, alignment we do is a vertical focus. So we divide the stay team into uh, different stages of the customer journey. So the first stage uh, focuses on uh, lead activation. So anytime a person, let's say, leaves their contact information, how do we basically uh, get them to use the product for the first time? Then the second part, let's say, of the customer journey is the active stage. So how do we, for this active customer who's already experienced the product, how do we uh, retain them? How do we upsell? How do we cross-sell? How do we... Uh, increase basket size, reduce churn, and so on. So this part focuses more on the active stage. And the third stage, of course, being a subscription business, naturally, you would have customers who stop using the product for a variety of uh, reasons. So this stage then focuses on reactivation and win back. So, and of course, to active customers, one of our core growth levers is also referral. So how do we use referrals as a core acquisition layer? But I would say let's it bundle together with, uh, with the active stage. So these are the three stages of our customer journey. So we have a team lead. We have different CRM managers reporting into each of these uh, verticals. What we also started realizing in this process is that, of course, while it's important to have a vertical focus, but CRM being a competency center, you need more skills to, let's say, clue the team together. So now we have a CRM tech lead, which basically uh, supports the entire team uh, as a horizontal focus to enable the infrastructure that I was referring to earlier. So all the three pillars, how do we make sure that uh, we are activating all those technical topics easily across our infrastructure? We have a data lead and the responsibility of that data lead again is to make sure that uh, we are, uh, of course, one as a governance layer, because we spend a lot in terms of, let's say, vouchers or incentives, as well as uh, media deployment. So how do we uh, make sure that we are growing profitably? So acting as uh, mm-hmm. a governance layer, as well as uh, being the champion of experimentation. So that's how typically we look at uh, the team structure and enabling the team uh, with different skills to balance that competency in a way. So that's the first part on the team structure. To your second question on the channel mix, the simple answer I would say is it depends. And again, it's as you would imagine, right? Like uh, there are people who engage with different channels differently. 
So of course, how we also look at our channel mix is uh, in a couple of ways. So of course, as the first touch point, uh, and I again uh, would reemphasize, email is still a very important channel. We do see quite a significant uh, conversion rate. And how we then use our other channel mix is as amplification. So in a simple scenario, for example, that let's say Ben is uh, not engaging with emails, we would then try to amplify that conversion with our channel mix of, let's say, if Ben has an app, send him a push notification. If his push notifications are not enabled, maybe try to uh, send a WhatsApp. If Ben does not use WhatsApp, uh, then uh, maybe send an SMS. So this is how we would basically build different audiences while ensuring that uh, we are, of course, frequency capping our channels, but using that logic of uh, engagement to then deploy different channels to uh, amplify our uh, conversion from uh, different audiences. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that, Oyakran. Very, very helpful. I think seeing how you structure your team by kind of core competency first, uh, you know, it seems like vertical was a starting point, but then really focusing on competency, but then seeing how you've also realize that there are obviously core technical functions that exist across all of those things and kind of enabling your team leads and CRM managers with people that sit almost in supporting roles or on top of all of those things is very interesting because I think the team structure tells a lot about how people are tackling a problem and how they where their focus lies in terms of the channel mix as well. So email is still definitely king, it sounds like, and almost the logic of engagement then is more you see channels coming after that to to engage customers that aren't active on email. So would it be fair to say for you that you still reserve email as kind of the highest intent, most engaged audience, and you're aiming for that, but then the other ones are kind of your your backup channels uh, where you're just trying, like you said, to amplify uh, what's going on on the email side? Do you, so you still see the strongest performance from email versus any other channel just by the nature of which you organize that logic? I mean, it depends on how you look at performance, right? So or if we just compare, let's say, pure conversion rate of email versus different channels, actually, email has the lowest conversion rate. And that is, of course, is expected because the volume of emails that we would deploy is significantly, let's say, higher than any other channel. And email also, if you look at as a channel, is slightly less disruptive than uh, a push notification or SMS. So idea here is that, to me, it's fine that email has a certain uh, lower conversion rate. And to what you said, it's exactly the point that we then amplify the conversion through our different channel mix. And it's not just digital channels, because like I said, we also deploy direct mail. We look at on-site uh, channels like, let's say, in-app or even, let's say, content cards, mobile inbox, and so on. So to me, those are more amplification and incremental uh, uplift channels. And the way we would always build audiences for that is uh, sitting over email. So while the conversion rate or email would be lower as expected, uh, we would always uh, deploy different channels in a limited way to create that amplification. Yeah, makes absolute sense. And have you seen recently, I guess, with you know all the Apple Mail privacy stuff, iOS 14, have you been seeing drops in performance in kind of your core, I guess, CRM channels particularly? And how are you dealing with that? Yeah, I think like, I mean, it's definitely been uh, tricky, but I think most of the at least the vendors and partners we work with, they're already moving in that direction where they are filtering out uh, some of this data which has an impact on performance. But I think from a CRM perspective, I would say it doesn't have a lot of impact because it would impact organizations where you only rely on email as a channel. Since in our case, we have a wide range of channel mix, 
So we uh, basically uh, manage this gap with uh, different channels. And this is where it's critical for us to uh, ensure that we st- always uh, basically uh, look at how customers are engaging with, uh, with emails and then deploy different channels to activate that data once we see that engagement behavior is is typical uh, for different, let's say, segments or markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love the approach. It's very well thought out, activating the different segments uh, depending on the channel and their level of engagement. I mean, what you're describing also with your three pillars and then this channel mix is inherently complex. Uh, can you talk through maybe some of the biggest challenges that you see when you're building something like this and how you solve for them? Yep. So, of course, I think, you know, if, if you look at, uh, uh, since in our case, for example, right now we have six channels. And uh, let's again take Ben as a customer, right? So imagine in this complexity, because we would have multiple uh, automations, multiple uh, workflows triggering at the same time. So, of course, at the end of the day, it's also ensuring that, let's say, even if Ben is a happy customer and we end up sending him too much information, that might be a deterrent. And that might end up, uh, you know, with Ben either unsubscribing from our marketing communication or just churning as a customer. So to me, that is, of course, you know, the hardest part uh, in this uh, scenario that while we move towards this one-on-one personalization, uh, one-on-one communication with uh, with Ben is one, ensuring that all our channels are talking to each other. And that is hard because especially when you start deploying different channels, and taking, let's say, direct mail as an example, where we would work with different partners. And uh, the challenge is always bringing all of that analytics into our CRM system and ensuring that we are able to uh, to activate uh, even that engagement behavior. But that is the hardest part uh, where we have to work with our technology partners in uh, continuously making sure that uh, we are able to uh, improve how we collect this data. And the second part, of course, is... Uh, understanding before we reach that stage where uh, we stop Ben from using our uh, product, how do we capture those signals to ensure that uh, if we see certain behavior or let's say if Ben is, for example, not opening emails anymore and back in the day he was a regular engaged customer, how do we read those signs and how do we pick up those signals of churn, of unengagement so that we can act upon that in a more proactive way than uh, basically... uh, not being super receptive to it. Uh, but those are two, let's say, continuous uh, challenges that we eventually try to uh, resolve as well. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm a good example there because I think I might have been responding to emails uh, back in the day, but now it, it, all that stuff being filtered into like a tab in my inbox and just way too many subscriptions all over the place that I definitely, my attention is not there, but something like WhatsApp is, you know, where I'm like communicating with people every day. So I have notifications on that. Definitely much easier to, to grab my attention there. So I'm sure that you're finding different segments behaving in different ways, obviously. You know, I think you've mentioned one-to-one personalization a lot and the kind of the systems, like the channels of engagement that you use. And the, obviously you're collecting a ton of first-party data on your customers and kind of how they're engaging across those channels. When it comes to actually kind of executing on like that one-to-one engagement and like content, for example, beyond just channels? Like, how are you thinking about segments? How are you thinking about, like, activating uh, the data that you have? That's a great question. And I would say, again, that that goes back to uh, the three pillars that I was talking about. So if you look at, let's say, the marketing tech uh, 
ecosystem, right? So breaking it again into those three pillars where right now on the first pillar, we have, let's say, a customer data platform, which is all about collecting that raw data from uh, different customer touch points and downstreaming it to a CRM system. And usually you'll find that CRM systems, of course, give you the capability to build those audiences, but it's restricted to, uh, you know, what, let's say, data you capture from, let's say, a customer data platform or from the CRM system in general. What we are trying to do is more move towards the third pillar, which is, uh, let's say, this behavioral intelligence or product analytics solution. Because, of course, not every customer is linear. And the idea there is where you can rapidly build these behavioral cohorts and also invert a cohort. So I'll take a simple example, right? So let's say, again, if you take lead activation as an example, so we can basically see that, okay, Ben, again, taking the same customer, Ben comes to our website, creates an account, and then uh, let's say makes a purchase and Narkez basically orders uh, his first box. Now, he might do a couple of things which might be, you know, leading indicators or uh, correlated to him uh, uh, doing that. So what we can do with these, let's say, behavioral uh, cohort building is start understanding that what was the main thing which allowed a person like Ben to a purchase. And let's say we built a cohort and we realized that maybe downloading an app within the first hour of creating an account was the key behavior that got uh, Ben to make a purchase. And then with behavioral intelligence or let's say these product analytics solution, you can start already building cohorts of users who don't do that action in the first hour of creating an account and use that as an indicator that, okay, it's more likely that this customer is not going to, let's say, convert. So maybe run a different kind of a campaign on them. So that to me is a very powerful way of moving towards this one-on-one communication where you are leveraging not just, let's say, backend data or uh, system-generated data that is important, but you start acting on this behavioral data of customers. And that's how these three pillars come into play for us. Yeah, I love that example because I think activating the data is such a challenge for CRM. There's so much data. And so this idea that you're creating, I guess, those different segments and then, I guess, calculating the probability that that particular behavior impacted the ultimate customer lifetime value, the conversion, and therefore understanding, okay, with these other control groups, I can actually really understand is like how likely was that event the key determinator in, in making that, that purchase. Then you get all kinds of interesting things from that and all kinds of segments that you can engage and that customize how you're actually doing that. So thank you for walking through that example. I mean, as you do all of this, you know, what is kind of your core KPI as global head of CRM and kind of what are the, the core metrics that you're evaluating your different team leads based on? So it, it ties again, I think, uh, back to our overall, uh, let's say, growth uh, metric as an organization. So when Malispoon looks at growth, they look at it from a simple LTV to CAC. So any, let's say, any dollar that we spend, what is the payback? And that is, let's say, the the overarching governing principle that we use within CRM as well. So the North Star, let's say, from uh, Marlispoon's perspective is, uh, since it's a weekly business, so we look at weekly deliveries that we get. So it's the same in our context of CRM as well. So for, let's say, leads, we would look at our activation rate, for example, for active customers, again, how many, let's say, deliveries we get from our base audience. And then uh, if we then apply to our reactivation, then how many reactivation deliveries we get. 
So those are, let's say, the core KPIs that the team uh, operates against. And then there are, let's say, more uh, what I call, let's say, growth levers or metrics, which uh, help us achieve these numbers. But that is how, let's say, as a team also, we support the growth uh, of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the LTV to CAC, the only way to keeping an eye on that, the only way to actually grow efficiently. And yeah, nice to see that you're also splitting that again into your kind of the teams and how you're how you're going about improving that metric as well. I mean, thank you so much for the the overview of kind of all the things that are going on at Marley Spoon and and how you're dealing with some of those challenges. Looking forward a little bit, can you tell me something that's, you know, coming down in terms of tech or in just a general approach that you're most excited about? I mean, I would say like uh, to me, I see a lot of, let's say, uh, consolidation happening in this marketing tech uh, ecosystem. Again, from a simple perspective that if you go back to the three pillars and you look at, uh, let's say, the technology which is out there, there is no one size fits all. There is no one solution out there which can basically organizations can go to and say, hey, you know, I want to achieve this one-on-one personalization where I want to stitch that customer journey. I want to activate different channels. I want to build behavioral cohorts. Is there one solution out there which can do that? Absolutely not. But now you see in how the leading marketing tech vendors are moving towards, they are trying to move in that direction, which makes sense that imagine if you're able to build that solution, then uh, you basically get more of the pie for different brands. The challenge, I think, in this approach now is that there's so much complexity behind this, let's say, movement that it's making it difficult for brands. So like the classic question, for example, right, where is the best place to build your audience? Is it on a CRM system? Is it on a product analytics solution? Is it in the data warehouse? Is it in a CDB? I don't know. Right now, there is no one spot because these technologies are so different that turns out you would basically build parts of your audience in all of these different uh, technologies. And uh, to me, what I'm most looking forward to is uh, basically this direction where irrespective of, let's say, which technology you use, irrespective of what tech stack you have, it's easier for brands or it's easier for CRM teams to build audiences. It's easier for CRM teams to become agnostic of uh, the tech stack and be able to uh, basically stitch that customer journey, build those behavioral cohorts and downstream that data to, uh, let's say, a CRM system which can then activate it across channels. Right now, it's not as easy as it sounds. And to me, that would be uh, you know something I would be most excited about to see. Yeah, I think that would, whoever gets there first will have be sitting on a gold mine, obviously, of being able to build those audiences because it's obviously the major first step also in what you're talking about in terms of kind of activation once you've unified the whole journey. So it will be a lot of things happening at the same time, but I agree with you. I think there's a lot of convergence happening now where there was a lot of fragmentation as the, the journey got more complex and technologies proliferated. And now we're in a state where people are desperately trying to to get back to a unified view and to, to make life a little easier uh, rather than use 15,000 different tools and trying to build all your audiences in different places. I mean, you know, things have changed a lot over the last few years. It always does in digital marketing. What are maybe three things that you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now or maybe three pieces of advice you would give for other consumer marketers and CRM marketers? So I think when I started my, let's call it marketing journey, because I think back then when I was uh, studying marketing in business school, there was nothing called digital marketing. 
And then I think those buzzwords started coming in, which started with digital marketing, moved towards growth hacking. And now it's all about, let's say, customer retention. So if I look back at myself, right? So naturally, because I did not come with this kind of background, so I was very T-shaped. And I would see people around me, let's say, focusing on a certain domain. So people who are, let's say, naturally creative, they would move into uh, brand marketing. People who were more, let's say, numbers-driven, they would move into performance marketing or become channel experts. And I was very T-shaped. And sometimes when I would, I think I remember like back in the day when I would even interview, companies would not know what to do with me because I was not, let's say, a domain expert, so as to say, right? And I always used to think that that's maybe a challenge and whether it makes sense to move into a, a certain domain. Now, when I look at the speed of how things are evolving, maybe that's what I would uh, you know, also tell to a younger version of me or anyone who's wanting to move into this. Like, of course, if you have a certain proclivity towards a certain, let's say, channel or uh, let's say a certain function, of course, you know, move in that direction and decide for yourself that, you know, it's more about becoming a domain expert. But I think what is emerging, and to me, that is what people, especially who come with a T-shaped background, should always rely on, that having that T-shape is absolutely valuable because it means that uh, you're not restricted by the status quo and you're willing to unlearn and you're willing to basically quickly adapt that learning you have as a T-shaped person into uh, unlocking this, let's say, potential which comes from uh, marketing tech in general. And you cannot have a domain-specific knowledge in that because this field is like evolving. So it's reframing that, I feel, uh, for a lot of people into seeing how this T-shaped mindset can actually be a growth mindset. And I believe that is going to be very critical for people, uh, especially wanting to enter this uh, field as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think particularly as you move more into leadership roles, uh, like an understanding, an ability to adapt, but also an understanding of all of those things to some extent without having necessarily such deep domain expertise, because as you said, maintaining that domain expertise these days is just a full-time job in itself. And so having that approach, I think is great advice for people looking to, to also move up within the organization. I mean, Five years from now, you know, you mentioned that the pace of change, no one likes to predict things because we're always wrong. But if you had to, what do you really see the future of consumer marketing looking like in five years? I would say this is also actually a hope, but I can already see a lot of movement in that direction. Where for a lot of organizations, let's say when you look at growth and every organization wants to grow, right? You already see a tipping point happening where it's about profitable growth. And it's not just about, uh, you know, rapidly scaling 10x, 20x and just having a faster cash burn, but it's how you move towards a profitable growth. And that profitable growth is not necessarily going to come from just acquisition of new customers. And of course, a lot of people talk about retention. They talk about, uh, you know, focusing on your existing customer base. And that, I think, is going to become more, more critical and not just as uh, I would say from a retention perspective, but also from using that audience to uh, either drive vessels. So using them to basically uh, get uh, more uh, customers for your business. But how do you, you know, use that as an opportunity to uh, focus all your, let's say, business intent towards as well? And uh, mm-hmm. to me, that is definitely, you know, what I foresee happening because there's there's this cliche that uh, retention is hard, 
But I can tell you reactivation is harder because, uh, I mean, if you have to understand why people stopped using your product in the first place, and then, of course, you know, you have to highlight that uh, part to uh, the customer who stopped using it. And that's where it's easier to, uh, I would say, relatively retaining those customers. And uh, that's, uh, you know, to me, uh, uh, I foresee that side of growth happening more uh, in the next five years. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I think the retention is hard. Reactivation is harder. Acquisition is even more expensive. Uh, so, you know, that's also why I'm, we're speaking today. I think we see this retention as really being like the focus for business over the next few years as they strive to become efficient. And so I think the role of CRM marketers in particular is going to take much more center stage than it has in the past where it may be acquisition and brand marketing is was the typical path towards like CMO or leadership positions. I believe that CRM marketers are going to be potentially the new breed there because it, it's such a key growth channel. And I love how you frame that as well, that it's not just about retention, but if you think about your existing customer base as a source of not just revenue growth, but actually customer growth through referrals and through like intelligent ways to, to use that base to activate new customers. It makes it even more important as we as we think about how to make, become more efficient and, and drive more revenue for the business. Karan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I think it was really interesting to see how you're thinking about CRM, uh, your three pillars as well, and then how you're executing on that vision. If people on the podcast you know, want to learn more about what you do and follow your journey, where can they go? Uh, I mean, I think the best, like I am, I think one of those individuals who is not on any media platform, uh, but LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is the, the only platform I use. So if anyone wants to connect, more than happy to. Uh, so yeah, I would say LinkedIn is definitely the most uh, viable option. Nice. Well, yeah, you heard it. Not so active, but if you do want to connect uh, and you can just send some feedback on the podcast, uh, do do reach out to Karan. Karan, thanks again so much for coming on. I hope your flu gets better very soon. I appreciate you taking the time to, to tell us more about your work at Barley Spoon. I found it very, very interesting. Thanks again for having me, Ben. Uh, and yes, I hope for my flu to get better soon as well. Uh, <laughs>